Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hotcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by Go Iowa Awesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Before we get started, make sure you subscribe, leave that rate and review wherever you're listening. It helps us out a ton. And if you're not a premium subscriber yet, subscriber yet to Iowa.Rivals.com, you can do that at Iowa.Rivals.com backslash subscribe. So do that today. This week, we're joined by Justin Rose of the I love you, but you're an idiot podcast, which believe it or not about Michigan state sports and Michigan sports for that matter. Um, he's part of the rivals network as well. Kind enough to join us today on late notice on my part, but uh, Justin, before we get into the thick of this matchup today, big news with Michigan state Mel Tucker out officially fired today uh, per Pete Thamel from ESPN thoughts on the whole situation, Justin. What a breath of fresh air. It's finally over. It's almost like that pretty girl that you kind of thought you had a chance with, and then she kind of showed her true colors, and you said, I don't really know if I want to stay in this, you know, but should I give you a chance? And then you find out she's uh, she's been doing something behind your back, and you say, you know what, good riddance to the bad rubbish. I uh, I had a lot of hope when Tucker first came in that, that he would be a guy – uh, I mean, there's no stranger of people that go back in my tweet archive and find all the tweets I said about him changing the perception of Michigan State for the better. Um, you know, I really thought that, that, that a guy like him with kind of that moxie and that, you know, CEO type approach would be would be successful. And turns come to find out, you know, I mean, he was just smoking mirrors and a lot of the things that you know he, he said he was going to do, he kind of maybe did them, but it was like a house of cards. Um, you know, the recruiting never really got going. He never really got the big fish that he thought that, that he could. Um, and, and then the, the product on the field at the end of the day, no, nobody cares about anything you do off the field if you're winning. Right. I mean, you've seen especially programs in the Big Ten, you know, I mean, Michigan, they do a lot of things behind the scenes. that You're like, eh, it's not really great, but they win. And Ohio State for a long time under Urban Meyer did a lot of things off the field. You're not really happy about, but they won. Uh, so it, it's just one of those things where I, it, what a, what a, what an idiot first and foremost to put himself <clears throat> before the entire program to put all these kids in this position, to put the university and all, all their alumni and fans in this position. You know, he's, he's, he's just a snake oil salesman and, and Colorado fans were quick to point that out. Of course, he had just left them in the middle of the night. So I can understand why they would say those things. But sometimes, you know, if, if, it, if it looks like a pig and it sounds like a pig, it's probably a pig. So he's gone. And I think when the, the firing making it an official, it doesn't change how I already felt. Like he needed to go no matter what. He was never coming back. I don't care if he had uh, that great of a, a legal, you know, battle to, to, to really stand on. Because at the end of the day, he's not a leader of men. He's not somebody who can go and recruit and sit in living rooms with kids and their families and say, I'm going to turn you into a great man, because that's, that's just something that you, when you're, you show infidelity in your marriage, I, I don't care if, I don't care if you're making my sandwich at Subway, I'm not going to, I'm not going to respect you because of that type of decision. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to follow you. And when you're the, the head man of a program like Michigan state or any program for that matter, you can't be trusted. So it's it's a fresh start. It's an opportunity to get ahead of the coaching search, not behind like they had been the last time. They can do their due diligence. They can talk to the right people. And when this season ends, they can make a hire so that they can try to salvage whatever they can from not only uh, the upcoming recruiting class, but 
the players that are probably going to be entering the transfer portal here over the next, uh, you know, they, they don't have to leave right away. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very, very, uh, you know, it's going to maybe set Michigan State back another year or two. But I don't buy into this whole like they're dead forever. Like this is a four or five year rebuild after this because it's just not college football anymore. Now, all of that said, by the sounds of it, you're you're pretty happy about the fact that Mel Tucker is, is no longer the head coach of Michigan State. How does it affect the current state of things with MSU? Would they be two and two right now? Would they look as abysmal if they, as they have at points if Mel Tucker was still the head man? You know, it's such an interesting question because I think no. I think they'd look the same. Like, what would he have done if he was on the sideline at the Washington game that would have made that game any different? Now, you could have, you, you know, you could have a, a Superman on the sideline for that game. And I don't think it would have made a difference because I think Washington's that good. And, and I thought Michigan State had an opportunity to maybe rally the rally, the you know, circle the wagons and rally everybody together and go out and do something crazy. And Washington just they, they didn't have anything. You know, they weren't they weren't going to let up at all. But I, I don't think they would have won against Maryland. And I don't know how much of a distraction this really would have been for you know, or not been for this team. I mean, they are who they are, right? Because these players didn't do anything. They're not the one. It's not like this was some player scandal behind closed doors where there's like they're split in the locker room because they did something like that whole team should have galvanized together and said, screw this guy. Like we didn't do this. And the fact that they couldn't muster up uh, enough to be competitive in either of those two games kind of shows me that what we seen was kind of what we were going to get. Cause Mel Tucker is not some wizard X's and O's guys. They're not missing him play calling. They're not missing him, you know, doing this on the sideline a hundred times. Like that's just, that's all he did. Cause he was the CEO. And again, I was okay with that, but it just kind of like brought more to this. Like the coordinators are no good. Mel Tucker hired and trusted these guys and, and you didn't get anything out of them in four, you know, three full seasons, uh, well, two and a half full seasons. But, uh, no, I, I don't think he would have had that big of a, a difference, and I think Michigan State would still be sitting here. Maybe they would have beat Maryland if they didn't have the distractions, but at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding and, and what we've seen on the field so far. How much of a difference does Mark D'Antonio make? Next to none. I mean – he's been around the program. He's popped his head in at practice from time to time. And like the players know who he is and whatnot, but, but he's not sitting in there, you know, doing anything other than trying to, trying to rally the troops a little bit and kind of give them some guidance and some advice. He's not doing anything offensively or defensively as far as like structural schematically. You can't do that. Like, I mean, we've seen this all the time in sports when, when coaches leave or are fired mid season, Sometimes that can like jumpstart them if there's a bunch of disgruntled people uh, that they were doing things the wrong way. But like Mark D'Antonio is not going to come in here. I mean, this guy, this guy spent more time hanging out with boosters and traveling and being retired. I mean, I've never seen him happier in his life than when I saw him at the Sweet 16 game in Madison Square Garden a year ago. He's not going to come in and just be like, all right, we're going back. We're running a 4-3 defense. Like you can't do that four games into a season and completely change you know, how these kids have been taught and how they've been coached to, to play their position. So I, I I always liked him, you know, coming in and kind of trying to steady the ship a little bit. 
But if he would have had any impact, it would have been they would have been competitive in that game against Washington. They would have been competitive against that Maryland game. And that's not to say that they weren't, because if you look at the numbers of the Maryland game, they outgained them. They they held on to the ball longer. They they moved the ball. They just turned the ball over five times. You're not going to win any football games when you turn the ball over five times. Is this team, as we transition here a little bit more into the actual game at hand for, for Iowa and Michigan State, is with that said, is, is Michigan State turnover prone? Would you say that they've earned that label? Well, I think the quarterback is. I, I, I more than anything, I mean, fumbles happen, right? Like, yeah, you don't want them to happen, but that's that's more of a, uh, you know, if you get hit the wrong way. Or, I mean, fumbles are more fluky. They, they, they're still obviously something that a defender could come in, trained to rip the ball, trained to hit like that. That's part of it. But when you have a quarterback like Noah Kim, who's thrown two just blatant interceptions, like just horrible, like, you know, this is on a, like, a, like a slant and he's throwing them so far inside that the defender's like, thanks. Um, that's the more controllable turnover, if you can say. So I would, I would say that I, don't, I wouldn't call them turnover prone, but I would say that, that you can be optimistic. And if for a defense as good as Iowa's, they should be definitely thinking like we can we can do this here. We we have the opportunity, especially if Noah Kim is the starter. And by all accounts, we're seeing that they aren't going to switch to somebody else, which I believe they should. But then again, I'm I'm sitting here and they're sitting there. Um, so I think Iowa fans, you know, knowing how good your defense is, you guys should feel very confident going into this game, thinking that you're going to be able to, to pop them for one or two, maybe more. Um, but I wouldn't say Michigan State's turnover prone, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And we'll circle back to the quarterback situation. Before we do that, obviously the last time these two teams played, it was 2020. Iowa kind of shellacked them 49-7. How, and obviously with the turnover of college football, the transfer portal, but also factoring in COVID, how many of those guys that were on that football team are are still around in, in East Lansing? Is it many at all? No, I can't imagine there's, 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 there's too many um that have that have been a part of that group because you got to remember you know during that that COVID year uh that was Mark D'Antonio's I believe that was Mark D'Antonio's no he was gone that was Mel Tucker's first year they played during the COVID year right yeah so I'm pretty sure that most of those guys I mean maybe Trey Mosley the wide receiver was was there for that game but other than him um I, honestly, maybe a couple of offensive linemen that no, I, honestly, you're going to really, I'm going to have to really, uh, you're going to really test my roster skills. Uh, I, I can't imagine, but at the same time, you know, I mean, look, this team knows that if they don't win this game, they're probably not going to a bowl game. Like it, at this point with the schedule, the way it's setting up, Iowa's not some world beater offensively. That's no secret. They know that. I think Michigan state's defense was always going to kind of carry them this year. Uh, looking at who they had coming back and who they were going to be working with. Uh, so I thought that the defense was going to be kind of the, the stalwart thing. The offense is what's really hindered Michigan state from being in a lot of these games. Uh, even though the defense against Washington and Maryland wasn't, wasn't great, but the offense didn't put them in a great position to begin with. So I, I look at this game being just kind of boring. Like, to be honest, I know that that neither fan base really wants to hear that, but I don't see a lot of offensive explosion uh, at Kinnick Stadium on uh, on Saturday night between these two teams uh, at all. Welcome to Iowa football.
Justin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, to, to revert back to the quarterback situation, uh, mentioning Noah Kim being a little bit more turnover prone. I looked, I just looked briefly at the uh the snap counts and passing attempts and stuff like that for the different quarterbacks at Michigan State. Is this a situation where they go with Kim until it's out of hand and then they put in Caton Hauser? Or is this like sort of a, a dual situation? One of them is better runner than the other. One of them is better passer than the other. What what does that quarterback situation look like for, for the Spartans? It's messy. It's messy, to be honest. And the thing is, is like not, you know, Mel Tucker having this whole situation happen, like it made things speed up, right? So you might have been able to Michigan State fans weren't going into this season thinking that this team was going to be a, a competitive team as far as winning a Big Ten championship. A lot of people were thinking seven and five, maybe eight and four, nine and three was kind of like the ceiling. That would be like, wow, you popped Michigan, Ohio State or Penn State, like because you were playing good enough to be relevant in those games. But nobody thought nobody thought that they were going to be able to, to run the have a realistic chance of winning a Big Ten. That being said, it was kind of like. When is Caden Hauser, the four-star kid? Noah Kim was like a afterthought, right? He was not a highly recruited guy. He was uh, recruited by D'Antonio, so he might have been on the roster for the Iowa, but he was so buried on the depth chart back then, he wasn't even a, a household – he wasn't even a household name even now. I don't even think he's a household name. My point is, is when do you just play the young kids and, and say, hey, you know what? Caden Hauser's biggest knock is that he's maybe not as polished and he's more of a risk taker than Noah Kim is. But if you don't give him game reps to actually like see that to come out, what are you doing here? Like Noah Kim is not, he's shown you kind of who he is. He's shown you his ceiling. He's slow to get started. He can be accurate with the ball, but when adversity hits him, he's not just some game changer. And then when Caden Hauser goes in, the offense starts to move. What, so so what are we doing here? I, I I would hope that Michigan State would give Hauser more opportunity earlier in the game. Instead of falling down by two or three scores and then putting the kid in, why not mix them up between series to start the game? I, look, you have nothing to lose. No one's expecting you to go in there and win this football game. Let the kids play. Same thing can be said for your wide receiver positions, your defensive positions. Like We have a great linebacker in Jordan Hall, a true freshman. He's his, his his fantasy or uh, pro football focus numbers. He's the best linebacker Michigan State has. And he's not getting the snap count of some of these upperclassmen. Like, why? You have nothing to play for uh, besides trying to win as many football games as you can. So you're in this turnover period. I think you got to let the kids play. I'd like to see more Caden Hauser in this game. Even Sam Levitt, the freshman, a true freshman. He's another highly decorated kid. You've got two four-star kids sitting behind a red shirts junior who wasn't recruited that way. And I know that recruiting rankings don't necessarily always tell the whole story. But my point is, is Noah Kim ain't going to, ain't going to take you to another level next year. It's either going to be one of these two young kids or you're losing both. What do you want to do here? So I think, you know, that almost would be like, you got to have Alan Haller, the athletic director, step in a little bit and be like, let the kids play. You guys are out. The coordinators are all out. You guys, Harlan Barnett is a Michigan State guy, true and true. If he values the program moving forward, he knows he's got to play the young kids to try to keep them to stick around instead of just everybody jumping in the portal and you and I are going out there and playing next week. Have they addressed who's going to be the starter this week? Have they already said it's it Kim's their guy? 
Uh, Barnett said basically after like on Monday, I think he said, we're going to go with the status quo, which kind of signals to us that he is thinking of going with Kim, but I, we'll see. I, I, I think it's one of those things where as this week has gone on, you know, people are going to start talking. Kids are going to start talking, you know, who's really checked in, who's checked out. And you got to give these kids an opportunity to play at this point of the season, because what, 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 you're trying to do your best to win the game, but like at the same time, you got to think future. This season's a wash. No matter what happens the rest of the way, you're not getting into the college football playoff. You're not winning a Big Ten championship. You're going to lose a lot of games along the way. So how do you get better from now until this time next year and week four of or week five of next college year? Don't waste another week not letting kids get reps and opportunities simply because you're trying to just steady the ship or whatever. You're still going to lose. So what do you have to lose? Now, regarding the offense, the defense, just the team as a whole, you, you mentioned the defense is, is good. What are bright spots for this for this team as, as a whole, whether individual position groups, uh, I guess you, you could mention the defense as a whole, positions uh, on the offense. Where are the bright spots? Where are places that you would be – Maybe maybe concerned is a strong word, but concerned if you're an Iowa fan facing up against the Spartans. You know, honestly, I think that their 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 defensive backfield is way better than it was last year. They've got a, a lot of young guys, a uh, couple of you know redshirt sophomores. I think are are playing at safeties. You got a couple of uh, redshirt freshmen that are playing at corner. You got a true freshman in Chance Rucker playing at corner. So they've shown that they are pretty good as far as like. They are pretty equal to the upperclassmen that have been playing in front of them. But I also think that uh, you guys have uh, a little bit of a problem throwing the football over there. So they could, be me. <laughs> they, they could be advantageous in shutting down any any semblance of a running or a passing game. Um, the defense, see, the thing is, is the defensive front is strong. They're getting a couple of guys back from injuries. Now, should they stay and play, that's going to be very – the whole wild card of this game, to, to be honest with you, is what kids are going to sit out because they're entering the transfer portal. They've already played their four, four games that they're allotted to. This roster could look totally different. We're talking on Wednesday. On Saturday afternoon, we could have a totally different starting lineup because young kids may say, you know what, I'm not wasting another game of, of eligibility on this. I have the option to put my name in the portal and sit out the rest of the year. I hope they don't do that, but I wouldn't blame them if they did. You know, who knows going to be the head next head coach here. So that's the one thing where I think Michigan can hang their hat on defense a little bit more than they can on the offensive side. But they've got bright spots and wide receiver. I mean, they just got to have a quarterback that can get them the ball. Nate Carter, you guys should be concerned about him. He had an almost another 100-yard rushing game uh, out of the backfield against Maryland. So they can run the football. They can throw the football. They can stop you from throwing the football, and they're not terrible against the run. It's just, can they put it all together with all of the other things that they're dealing with right now? That's kind of the one thing. So if I'm an Iowa fan, I'm, I, I got to be 85 to 90% confident we can win this game, even if it's like a 9-3 to three battle, right? Field goal kicker, you know, home night advantage pink locker room, the whole, the whole thing you guys got going on over there. It's really hard to win at night over there. Um, so I think you should feel very confident 
you just can't get complacent. And I mean, that's for any, anybody you play ever. Like you just can't get complacent thinking that you're going to throw your helmet out on the field because there's a lot of these kids that keep saying like, we're together, we're brothers, we want to play hard. And the numbers against Maryland showed that that's the case. So if Iowa doesn't go out there and at least handle their business, they might get surprised, but I don't put a high probability on that happening. What are your, uh, well, I mean, you, you kind of laid it out, but but what are your expectations going into this one? Do, do you see, you know, Iowa racking up several interceptions? Do you see the the defense just in complete domination? You said 85 to 90% sure that Iowa's going to win. Like, do, do you have any, I don't know, I don't want to say, do you have any hot takes? Do you have any expectations going to this game in any particular group, whether it be Michigan State or Iowa, does particularly well in this one? What are your expectations there? I think Iowa. I, I think Iowa's defense does what it's been doing. That's my expectation. And and if Michigan State goes out and somehow moves the ball down on them, scores points, uh, I might change my mind on if they can win that game or not. Because the thing we've seen with Iowa more so than Michigan State is, I think Michigan State can score the football. I just think they've struggled to do that at times. You know, I mean, you look against their two non-conference games besides with Washington. It was pretty good. Like they 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 racked up a lot of yards. They were pretty pretty you know balanced, and they did some good things. They even did some good things against Maryland. They just turned the ball over. So Washington is the only outlier where it's like Michigan State couldn't move the football. So they can move the football. I just think Iowa's defense is so good that they're going to catch them enough times where they either stop them on fourth down, get a key turnover. Um, cause that's how you guys have won a lot of your games over the past couple of seasons. I mean, I remember what two years ago, you guys had like 12 interceptions through like five or six weeks or something stupid like that. Uh, so I, I expect that veteran Iowa defense to show their face a lot more in this game. And if Shea Patterson can somehow figure out how to throw a forward pass in, in that scheme, cause Shea's not a terrible quarterback and that's Aid the McNamara. thing. Yeah, that's the one. Shade. They both played for Michigan. I covered both yeah. of them. I feel like they're just interchangeable puzzle pieces. Game back to them. But like, uh, they're game managers, and like that's what Iowa wants as a game manager. So I, it'll be interesting to see how they do against Michigan State and and how how much of an effort Michigan State's defense puts out. But I will say, if Michigan State can finally score a touchdown on their first drive they've not scored on their first drive or their second drive or their third drive this season it could change the yes it could change the dynamic of the game they get a little confidence and they get a little bit uh, more moving in the, that right direction so again night game I expect the the raucous crowd to come out I expect Michigan State to kind of play a little bit more scared than you typically would if you had things rolling they have nothing rolling right now whereas Iowa you got just shellacked just totally beaten. So it'll be uh, certainly interesting to see how your team responds because you have actually something to respond to because your season is still kind of in front of you, whereas Michigan State's not really playing for a whole lot. So you covered Cade McNamara. You've you've seen what he was able to do at Michigan. Hasn't really translated to this point at Iowa. What were you thinking when that transfer happened and compared compared to now and what he has not been able to produce in these first four games? Well, I don't think it's on him. 
I think it's your offensive coordinator. I mean, let's be frank here. I mean, he's he's not good. Like you guys have not had a functional moving offense in almost a decade. Maybe I mean I, I remember sitting there on the sidelines of the Big Ten championship game in 2015. And Michigan State won it on that grueling drive down the field. And I remember thinking, like, this Iowa offense stinks. And that was in 2015. We're almost 10 years removed. And there's nothing changed. Nothing changed. So I look at, like, you know, Eric All is a great tight end. Where's he been? Like, I mean, I, I honestly, and like Cade McNamara is a great quarterback. Not that great quarterback. He's a good enough quarterback where he can move the football. You can run play action. You can do the things that Iowa wants, but like your play calling has been so abysmal that he's probably just like, you know, what, what am I, what am I doing here? I think they brought him in thinking that he was going to be able to run that system a little bit better, but the system's just broken. And look, everyone likes to pile on Michigan state and that's fine. Right now we're in a position where it's probably warranted in a lot of ways, but let's not forget everybody has their own shit. And I think Iowa's is that they have just not figured out that you have to play complementary football. The defense can't always get you two, three turnovers a game. That'd be nice. But if you can't put together a drive down the field when you need to in crunch time, what are you, what are you, what are you, gonna, what are you asking for? So I think Cade McNamara is just kind of trying to do his best with what he's been given. But the offensive coordinator is – it's just like anywhere else when the offense isn't moving. They're calling for the guy who's calling the plays because the players aren't calling the plays. Offensive line is also uh, like god awful. So throw that in there. And, Which is and, interesting because you guys are just like breed offensive linemen in Iowa. All that corn, my god! <laughs> it's been awful for three straight years. Uh, other than really, other than Tyler Linderbaum and and occasionally uh, Logan Jones and well, Mason Richmond was awful again this last weekend. I already said that last podcast. Don't need don't need to hamper on that again too much. Well, while uh. While we're on the topic, before we get to wrap it up here and I ask about your your final score and all that for the for the game this weekend, do you know how many receptions Iowa's receivers have so far? Oh, if I had to guess, you played four games, 25. 14. <laughs> you mentioned Trey Mosley. He has 13. Wow. Himself. Yeah. Do you want to know why that hurts me more than anything is because you're probably going to double your season production against Michigan state this weekend. (laughs) Like that's just kind of how it always works. I've been a Spartan fan since I came out of the womb and it's always like this team hasn't done this ever. And Oh, they play Michigan state this week and they do it. And it's just like, it always is us. It's always us. I, 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 I am interested to see how this game plays out. I don't think it'll be a very good football game, to be honest with you. You're going to have to have, you know, we're going to have to have stomachs, you know, and, and I think Iowa fans and Michigan State fans can unite in the fact that we've had to have stomachs to watch the brand that's been put out over the last couple of seasons. Um, so I, I think this will be a pretty, pretty ugly football game uh, at the end of the day. But, but I think that Iowa should be able to, should be able to pull this one out. Now I find or I saw a a uh, score spread earlier today. I'm not sure if it's universal to this point, but I, I was surprised when I saw it. I'm not sure how accurate it is. Twelve and a half point spread favor of Iowa. 
I don't see that happening. I would say probably 10 or fewer points that Iowa wins by. I would not take that spread. I would not favor Iowa's offense. Like, I'm very much a I'll believe it when I see it person in terms of covering football, let alone the Hawkeyes offense. What do you think of that spread? Do you have a final score prediction? What are you thinking? Oh, it's a, it's it's stay away from it game. It's a stay away from it game. It, it really is because I can see a scenario where this game seriously is like six to nine. And then there's just a field goal barrage. The under is probably a safe play at 35 or 36 or whatever it is, which is which is pretty funny. But on the oh. flip side, I can also see this game being so gross that these teams somehow get to double digits in scoring each a broken play, a kicked return, a punt return, a blocked punt or field goal. Like something weird is going to happen. It typically does at night at Iowa. So if I had to pick this right now, I would say Iowa wins this game like 15 to 7. That's that's my prediction. And I don't know how you get to 15 points. Y'all can figure that out. But I, I just I, – I, I don't even know – I don't even know what to expect because, again, I think the biggest thing you have to think of, this is why you don't bet on it. You don't know who's going to play for Michigan State until, what, two hours before the game or whatever. The line may shift from 12-and-a-half to 20-and-a-half. And if it does, you're going to know that Michigan State's a lot of kids are deciding to sit out. And we just haven't been told that yet. Um, so I would just stay away from it. If you're going to bet anything, the under is probably the safest bet on the planet, but you and I are going to look really stupid when they could both go out and put up 30 points. And it's a <laughs> yeah. 60, 31 to 29 game. And, uh, and all of a sudden we're like, Oh, okay. Where'd that come from? Right. Right. I would, there are very few things that I guarantee. It seems like I make one guarantee per podcast. And that's generally last time it was, I guarantee Brian Ferentz and George Barnett are not going to get fired this time. I guarantee you can always hit the under and be pretty confident you're going to hit it with with the Hawkeyes. He is Justin Rose of the I Love You But You're an Idiot podcast. A or excuse me at J Rose D E T on Twitter. We'll wrap it up here. We appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Hotcast brought to you by Iowa.rivals.com. If you're not a premium subscriber yet, you can do that at Iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave that rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can do that on our YouTube channel as well. Shout out to everybody who's watching. So for now, we'll see you next time.